Welcome everybody to St. Patrick's Studio and The Conversation. My name is Brian Cannon with St. Patrick Catholic Community, joined today by the illustrious Rabbi John Linder from uh, right down the road, Temple Sol El in Paradise Valley. Now, uh, Rabbi has uh, a long history of working on behalf of justice right here in our community, in lockstep with other communities of faith. But uh, Rabbi, something interesting about you that I would like to maybe kick off the conversation with is, in Catholic circles, you are what we would call a late vocation. So you had a different career trajectory before you became a rabbi. Can you talk about that dynamic a little bit? Yeah, Brian, absolutely. So first of all, thanks for the warm welcome. And I actually um, have never been introduced with the word illustrious before. Um, so I love that. And, and I do just want to add, uh, my love for love and respect for Father Eric, Mary Promota, and the St. Patrick's Catholic uh, community. Um, you know, I feel like we are um, siblings and just blessed to be in community with one another. So yeah, so I'm not sure what the term you used. It wasn't. It was not late bloomer, but I'm late vocation. Late vocation. So I am gonna um, say, you know, I am a late bloomer. And uh, but you know realized after um, two wonderful careers, one as a community and labor organizer, uh, then uh, and I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Uh, although my organizing was in uh, in Ohio, in uh, in Massachusetts and Ohio, had an opportunity to go back to my hometown and work with my. Um, father and uncle of blessed memory and my brother and cousin in a recycling, family recycling business. Um, otherwise, uh, for those that may have watched Sanford and Son at some point in your life, uh, otherwise known as the junk business. Um, so I'm a former junk man, no question about it. But now yeah. you find yeah. yourself in a completely different, you're surrounded by books. I love you. I, lo I love where you're coming to us from. And you know, yeah. at some point, uh, some sort of switch got flipped. What, what yeah. happened? Yeah, I, I so much appreciate you asking that question, Brian. As the, I mean, I would say that the, uh, the trigger and the spark was my wife Nancy, uh, who, and we were going to be thirty-six years uh, married uh, when we were blessed with a son who's twenty-nine. Uh, it was for us a um, a reconnection to our own Jewish faith. When you are raising a child, uh, you sometimes end up learning right along with your child. And our son, who we had in a uh, in a Jewish preschool in Buffalo, um, ended up putting a lot of pieces together for me, Brian. In fact, I think it will beautifully connect with what, what we'll continue to talk about today. I have always been committed to making the world a better place, justice through organizing, um, recycling, and, and actually having respect for the business community, the impact the business community can have in lots of ways, not the least of which is providing providing good jobs. And, uh, and when I connected Jewish teaching to that which I was already passionate about, um, for me, it was a little tap on the shoulder um, saying, John, um, you've got another chapter in you here. And either Brian, you kind of listen to that little tap on the shoulder, and it's easy for practical reasons to say, 
I'm not hearing that. Excuse me. I've got another path. Uh, but the, the tap doesn't go away. And I just open to the path to go to the seminary and uh, end up being ordained as a rabbi and having the support of my wife and my bride, Nancy, throughout all of it. And, um, and now a 29-year-old son who's been uh, a part of all of it uh, as well. I love the way you describe that as next chapter. Way better than late vocation, because as pe- people of faith, we recognize that things happen on God's time. Yeah. Which is not always translatable to, you know, your typical timeline, right? And But I love the idea of next chapter and taking a step the way that God leads you. And so you have this experience of organizing, uh, specifically labor organizing, yeah. which which we would um, uphold as one of our pillars of social justice, right? And the social teaching of the church. Yeah. And, and now I know that you're involved with Valley Interfaith Project and some other things that really focus on justice on a policy level. So was your um, experience with justice kind of like um, an entryway into that next chapter? And and what did you discover when you got there? You start doing this training in in the Hebrew Bible and you start to make some connections. What are those foundations of justice that you found? Yeah. Well, I, I would say, Brian, my aha moment uh, was um, for the for really for the first time at my temple in Buffalo, uh, Temple Beth Am, uh, with Rabbi Steve Mason, whose daughter, by the way, Sarah Mason Barkin, is a rabbi in our community at Congregation Beth Israel. We just happened to be, uh, and again, I don't think uh, these things are uh, the the timing and the circumstances. Uh, we are planted at a certain time. And again, if we're listening to something, uh, we meet it. So this happened to be the Torah portion where um, God is um, choosing Abraham. Um, So the Hebrew Bible, uh, the five books of Moses starts out as a universal story of humanity, creation of the world, the uh, Garden of Eden, the flood story, Uh, the Tower of Babel, which we may return to a little later. Um, And then from there, there's this part of the family tree that's Abraham. And uh, and Abraham is told to go forth, leave leave your mom and dad's house, leave your hometown, leave your native land. Where? To a place where I'm going to show you. So wait a minute, excuse me, God, you missed a big detail there at the end. Where am I going? And, and that, of course, for searchers, and Brian, I think everybody that's listening to this um, is a searcher. And we just so much want to know, we want to control our lives, uh, but we are driven to do something without knowing exactly what that end's going to be. And that spoke powerfully to me, to, uh, for me to take a step that led me to the seminary. Um, and, um, and um, you know, I'll, I'll leave a follow-up question to you to see if you can team me up for, um, so far there's not a big justice message in that. It's a journey uh, message, um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna toss the ball back to you. What do you wanna know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so, so 
So where's the where is the where's the justice piece um, in Abraham? I mean, it's a fair question to ask. Why did God choose Abraham to begin with? And we actually have almost no biographical information on Abraham before God chooses him. So as readers of scripture, we're kind of on the edge of our seats like, God, why this guy? And, and, and here is, I think, a formational text, Brian, for, for all of us, that God is about to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it occurs to him that maybe I ought to let Abraham in on this. Why? Because I chose him for his moral compass of knowing right and justice. Which he needs right help and, with. Say that again? Which Abraham really needed some help with. So, you know, so Ab- Abraham, yeah, so there is, you know, with his own family story, which I'm imagining you're talking about either um, his wife, Sarah, or his son, Yitzchak. So, that, so those are conflicting stories. And there is an irony uh, in, in that or a tension in that. But, uh, but, but God in that moment lets us know that he chose Moses um, because he does have this deep sense of justice. And then it's immediately put to the test. It's an amazing scene in, uh, in the first book of Torah, the book of Genesis, where God tells him, tells Moses what he's gonna do, destroy these, uh, these, these two cities. And, and Abraham um, begins to negotiate that, right. well, if there are 50 righteous people, 40, 30, 20, um, and, and, and in the middle of that, uh, Abraham and the languages, he actually is like toe to toe. I know we can't make a figure out of God. I think that might be the first commandment. Uh, but, but, that, but the text is toe to toe with God. And he says, and the Hebrew is hashofet kol haaretz lo yase mishpat. Should not the Abraham talking to God, Brian? Should not the judge of all the world do justly? Hmm. And I and I heard that text, Brian. And if Abraham can challenge God about justice, well, what about us with other human beings? And, and I think that model is there for us to give us the courage when we're in the, you know, whoever it is in a position of power that we're challenging, um, to keep in mind that, wait a minute, if we can challenge God, who is, who's outside of the boundary? And, and that for me was, it was an aha moment of, you know, leave your comfort zone, John, leave your comfort zone, go somewhere where you know, you'll find it, but you just don't know right now. And, and it is a story of standing up for justice in a bold way. In what we would call the first action of advocacy on behalf of the other and, and, and justice being other centered. I think one of the things that we've encountered during this pandemic is that has laid bare those of us who would primarily be focused on self, what are my rights versus those of us who would be um, inclined to, um, to advocate on behalf of the other. Um, now, Abraham 
has a very strange relationship with God, wouldn't you say, in that it's unique in that Abraham understands God is speaking directly to him in very clear ways. Now, for the contemporary person of faith, our connection is somewhat muddled, right? So Abraham's aha moment comes from a, a complete connection and, and able to communicate with God on a very personal level. So how does then a modern person of faith reach this aha moment where we feel empowered to um, advocate as Abraham did? Yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's a great question. Um, fortunately, um, we have other texts that we can draw on. And, and I would say uh, unlikely heroes, or I would say um, heroines. And, and I would, you know, open up the next of the five books of Moses. I'd open up the book of Exodus. And, and we have these role models, Brian, that, that I think answer your question, how, where's somebody I can relate to? Because now Abraham is, um, you know, you know, is this extraordinary, has this extraordinary relationship with God that is, you know, tough for us mere mortals, keeping in mind that, you know, Abraham was a mortal. Um, all of our biblical characters are biblical ancestors. But I love at the beginning of the book of uh, Exodus, um, remembering that uh, the Israelites um, ended up with a really beautiful relationship with Pharaoh in Egypt. There was a famine in the land of Canaan in Israel, and we ended up in Egypt and, um, and had a beautiful relationship with the Pharaoh. You then turn the next book, and there is a Pharaoh that did not remember Joseph. And then we have the enslavement um, of the Israelites. And we have Pharaoh instructing that all male boys be put to death. Do not, if you bring them into the world, you must kill them. And we have these two women um, that we just know as Egyptian, uh, as um, midwives to, um, to Hebrew women. We don't know actually whether uh, they are Egyptian or Hebrew women, um, but they we know their names, Shifra and Pua, and they are directly um, uh, told by Pharaoh that you must not bring these boys into the world. And, and they defied him. And I mean, the text says that they defied Pharaoh and, um, and that's quite that that's something that we have a moment, Brian. We're just, you know, whoever we are in our community, we see an injustice happening. The authorities are telling us this is what we should do, or our boss is telling us what, what should we do, a good friend's telling us something we can do. We know in our kishkis, in our gut, that no, it's not just at all. You don't um, you you don't kill somebody because they're an Israelite boy infant, and they defy and they defy Pharaoh. And then a couple of verses later, when Moses, because the mother out of desperation knows that you know the child that was just born, um, Moses, um, and actually is not given his name yet, 
um, they put him in a um, in a teva in a little basket on the Nile River. And who rescues this boy? I'm looking at your face, Brian. You know it is. It, it's it's a, it's a woman that has no name, but we know who she is. She is Bat Paro. She's Pharaoh's daughter, and she says she has compassion, and she says this must be a Hebrew boy because she knows what her father has, you know, um, laid down as a law. And she sees this boy and she knows out of being an empathic, compassionate human being um, at, I'm sure, great risk to her own life. She rescues this boy. It is, these, these are, um, so maybe, not easy to relate to the daughter of Pharaoh, but but the text keeps her nameless, and and actually in um, later generations, Brian, the the rabbis, um, the the rabbis that follow actually call her Bat instead of Bat Paro, the daughter of Pharaoh. They call her Bat Yah. They call her the daughter of God. We have so much reverence for this non-Israelite Egyptian royalty for doing the right thing. And I think that is accessible to all of us, Brian, to, to do the right thing. And it doesn't have to be um, the extraordinary um, spotlights on us. It's the everyday you have an opportunity to act for goodness in the world. And I know for sure that that's St. Patrick's Catholic community looking for those ways um, just to model goodness and justice in the world. When I think about the role of a midwife and those Egyptian midwives that you've described from scripture, think about what would have had to have fueled that defiance yep. of, such a, of such a power or such an authority as Pharaoh. And the role of a midwife is one of those most intimate of roles in a person's life. And I think about the only thing that could have powered such a defiance would be a relationship, mm. like a, a deep relationship of love. If you think about, I mean, I, you're a parent, I'm a parent. You think about the process of bringing those children into the world and who knows the preciousness of a child more than like a midwife would. Yeah. And the, just the intimacy of that relationship, that togetherness, they, they almost probably could not help but defy yeah. that authority that was unjust. Yeah. And so the connectivity through relationship versus the isolation of otherness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and this is not um, something that we're really experiencing as a culture too terribly much right now. We, we have a lot of separation we have a lot of isolation. We have a lot of otherness. And um, how, where are we at as a society, do you think, with those relationships? What can we yeah. do? Yeah. So I, I first want to say, Brian, it's such a beautiful uh, insight that you're making that in, uh, in both cases, uh, if you actually are in relationship face-to-face, -face, midwife doesn't get any closer or more intimate than that. Um, or you just happen to be in a place, you know, you're bathing on the Nile River and you see, you know, it's like, darn it. 
I just saw a child in this basket. You know, maybe I wish I didn't, but now, now it's got a claim on me. And I think that's the point you're making, Brian. And I think it's powerful for all of us that if, um, well, it's actually the responsibility of faith communities to give members of our community the opportunity to be in relationship to witness. So for example, you go down to the border, go go to uh, go visit with the Kino Border Initiative, good Jesuit community. And um, and okay, you read about migrants, you um, they're crossing the border, they are um, they're tossed back over the other side, but they keep trying back and forth, back and forth, and you meet them and you listen to their story. And as, as you said, Brian, how at that point can you not feel a human obligation and connection to them? So I think that um, from our respective, our common and respective scripture, um, that needs to take us into the world to be able to be in relationship exactly as you beautifully, beautifully just put it, Brian. How, how do we get to a point where we would look at Moses in the basket and say, he's not of me, you know, he's not mine, or it's somebody else down the river, or where, where does that disconnect happen, do you find, in our culture? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the question is, how can you look at another human being in need, not the least of which is an infant boy who, you know, I don't think he's, you know, insulted or did anything wrong to anyone else. It's just, uh, so how do we feel obligated? How do we feel obligated? And, um, so, so, so I do um, think about the cautionary story that we even heard before we we met um, Abraham, uh, the the Tower of Babel story, where you have um, a community that uh, that that first of all um, doesn't know the boundary between humanity and God. Uh, so there's a difference between partnering with God, which I think is our common faith traditions, Brian, um, or trying to be God, to build this tower, to reach the heavens. And, um, and they specifically, and I, and I think this is, uh, this is the, the cautionary tale and the lesson, they want to speak in one language, they want to speak in one language. They want to be one people. And, um, and they think that is where their power is going to come from. And, and what does God do? God disperses them all over the earth, different languages. Um, you know, it's just Babel, right? You don't understand one from the other. It's Babel. And, um, and, and I read that story, Brian, as... Um, we need to figure out how we can listen to the other, learn a different language. Um, we do this through interfaith dialogue. And I think, it, I think 
most importantly, that we take that dialogue, we take our respective texts, and we bring it into the world. Let's do something together. Um, wow, I actually never had the opportunity to be in community with Jews. I never had the opportunity to be in community with Catholic community, knowing that first of all, um, neither of those are monolithic um, at all. The diversity within the Catholic church, the diversity within Judaism and the Jewish world. But I, but I think the, um, I don't, even somebody who is, you know, I would say virulent anti-Semite um, grew up, you know, that little kid in a basket message that that kid was, you know, the Jews are, you know, the cause of all the problems of the world, all of the, all of those things. And they are the other and they're bad and you should be afraid of them. And then you have an opportunity to actually meet the other. And, um, and I think we as leaders in the community can help set those relationships up in a way where we don't feel threatened. Um, but it's but but those are peeling back layers and layers of what have been built up in a um, in a country. I mean, we are dealing with as Americans right now um, racism. Um, so we need to we need to think about how that has been reinforced, inculturated uh, for us, and then how do we do something about it? And and we can, and that is the charge of faith communities. Anti-Semitism did not develop overnight. Racism in this country certainly has a long history as you have said, there's many layers to those things. And I imagine that your community encounters anti-Semitism today. These things are a reality. They exist and they won't go away overnight. What faith communities can do, you and I, and others like us, is take steps together. What's a first step in forming a relationship with somebody that you might call other, right? What we might see as separated from us. What's the, the first step that you take in forming a relationship? Well, um, I, I, I think the, I think the most profound way is by um, finding a, common passion, a common opportunity to help the community in some way and to, um, and to act together. I think that is the, I think that's the most powerful way. Now, you know, that could be set up by, let's look at a text from the gospels, Let's look at a text from, you know, Isaiah and, um, 
okay, those are our foundational texts. What, what, what do we hear from those texts? What do we learn? Um, so, you know, Isaiah, for example, is, you know, pretty, pretty clear that on, and, and by the way, our holiest day of the year, um, Yom Kippur, uh, it, it, a fast day, what's the text that we choose? Um, there are more, more Jews in synagogue that day than any other day of the year. And, um, and it's a fast day, Brian. And what text do we choose? We choose the text, uh, we choose Isaiah's text um, that, that has Isaiah say, no, um, this is the fast I desire to, to lock, unlock fetters of wickedness and to let the oppressed go free and to feed the hungry and take care of those in the community. Um, so, so the text challenge us that um, it's all of the rituals and, and, and I love the rituals in the Catholic church. They're beautiful, they're sensory, they are. And my guess is that the, uh, the priest um, is reminding the congregation what these rituals are for. It's what we try to do. And fortunately, um, you know, I get to channel, you get to channel um, the prophets because of course we have common scripture in the Hebrew Bible that let's remember um, that it's, yes, the rituals are beautiful and they're elevating. And you could say momentarily, um, they're great on their own. But if it's just that, and we don't go forth into the world to look for those that are broken, those that are in pain, those that are struggling to find a job, those that are suffering from incarceration or mental health, or, you know, the list is endless. Um, so let's go out and let's find something, Brian we can do together. And I think it's why the Valley Interfaith Project, as an example, uh, understands that we need to bring and live our sacred text in the world. And let's look at those issues that we collectively decide are important to us. And, and from there, it's like, you know, Brian Cannon, well, I'll be darned, I never thought that I actually could find a connection with you. But sure enough, um, you care about the same things I, I care about. You're a father like I'm a father. And, um, and to then start to peel back some of those layers um, that we, we all have with one another. We too are a fasting people. So I just really appreciate you bringing forward that idea of here's when the most people are here. Yeah, and they're all cranky because they're fasting, <laughs> and then we're going to read the scripture that says, "Yeah, it's not really the fast I'm looking for." I just really love that because it's great. Church people understand these things, right? Yeah. But you know, when you describe this work of gathering, regathering, so and I know a few a few people's light bulbs went off when you mentioned Babel. Oh, that's where that word comes from, right? Yeah. So there's the great scattering. But then there's the work of regathering too. And you mentioned Isaiah and 
just this beautiful um, image of the nations, you know, um, all of the nations, all of the nations coming to gather around Zion again. And I can't imagine that to every single Judean, that was the most popular idea. Like the, here comes everybody to our holy mountain. It's our holy mountain after all. But if we're really seeking the common good, like Rabbi Linder and I are going to look for that thing that we both gather around, right? And, and work on together. That is the beginning of a relationship and a relationship of love. And so I just think that is that beautiful, yeah. that, that work of regathering. Um, so you are a Buffalo guy. Uh, I, I heard you say that. And I have it on good authority that you are a bit of a hockey aficionado. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I would not say that currently so, but I love hockey and I have played it in the past. And uh, um, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, well, I mean, you've, you, you, you've got a, you've got a pretty, pretty darn good football coach at uh, St. St. Patrick's. Um, yeah. So, um, so we, uh, uh, we, we can, we, we can be competitive as well. That's good. because You know, we um, at St. Patrick, we always talk sports. It's, we work it into absolutely everything. It's in the it's in the fabric. So you being from Buffalo, I am a, uh, a cultural New Jerseyite myself. So wow. the New Jersey Devils one, Is it sinful to be a Devils fan? Oh, well, there's no no question about it. And you are beyond the pale. OK, yeah. Yeah. two, you being from Buffalo. Martin Brodeur versus Dominic Hasek between the pipes oh, defend your guy yeah well look look at the the fact that the um buffalo sabers uh never have come up with that i mean look at this is this is what buffalonians carry no stanley cup championship yeah. and i think although you probably are you know much too young to ever know brian that the talk buffalo about super bowl 25 the Buffalo Bills went to the Super Bowl four years in a row, four years in a row. So, um, yeah, I um, no, I, 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 you know, Hashik is, you know, uh, ma- amazing between the pipes and we're still we're still waiting for that cup. You know, as a as a also a New York Giants fan, Super Bowl 25, Ouch. Ouch. missed field goal. No, I remember it well. Those Buffalo I, Bills I, I, were pretty good. I was there with my brother. Yeah. Yeah. In, in Tampa Bay. Wide my right. Wide right. Yeah. Last, no last, sorry. Yeah. Last, last field goal, you know, Scott Norwood uh, would kick, but here, here's a story. And this is a, this is a great story of faith uh, just to keep it in perspective. And it's a story of Buffalo. When the Buffalo bills came back from Tampa Bay um, lost that, you know, lost it on a field goal. Scott Norwood uh, was greeted downtown Buffalo. Um, thousands of people was greeted like a hero because, um, you know, the community, you know, it's a it's football living with compassion. Yeah. That this guy, you know, what can we do to just give this guy a big, big hug? And I think that represents um, just the best of um, humanity, people of faith, and um, and let's keep it in perspective as well. Perspective. And uh, this is 
friends, the major difference between Buffalo and like Philadelphia, just so you know. <laughs> so, so talk to us a little bit, just to kind of round everything out about your community, Temple Soul L. What are you excited for? What are you guys working on? How are you guys doing? Yeah, well, we're, we're first of all, we are, um, it's been as it is for all houses of worship. It's been a really, really tough year. Um, we are just going to be coming back in person for services uh, this, this month. And, um, and there is, uh, and, you know, relationships, as you talked about, the primacy of relationships, uh, although, you know, I'm experiencing you in a beautiful way on this screen, but it's not the same as being in person. And I, I think this year for us is reconnecting as a community, Brian, and, uh, and, and just being together, just the, uh, the absolute, you know, in proximity, in our sanctuary, around a study table. And, uh, and I think there is just such a pent up need for that. And of course, we're, you know, we're going to do it in what we think is a responsible way. And we are able to see that right now. Uh, and then to uh, do what we can to look for opportunities, uh, whether it's around homelessness or immigration or, um, you know, prison reform or the water conservation, there's not a shortage of issues for us to uh, work on as faith communities. And we're just excited to um, go more deeply, Brian. Well, we certainly wish you and your congregation all the best as you endeavor to regather in person. It's our hope and prayer that it all goes smoothly and that the, the fruits of God's spirit are there with you all. And I just want to thank you for taking this time, Rabbi, to speak with us. It's been such a great conversation. It's very uplifting for me to talk to you today. And I know it will be for so many people that watch this conversation. So thank you so much. Yeah, well, it's been a gift for me, Brian. You have such a great, great spirit. And, uh, you know, I'm receiving it and, uh, and it's, you know, animating me. Thank you so much again, Rabbi John Linder from T Temple Soul L in Paradise Valley. This has been The Conversation with St. Patrick's Studio, and we will see you all next time. Thanks so much and God bless. <laughs>